Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, what's going on, guys? Got Peter Jacobson on the podcast this week. Mr. Personality. I love this guy. Always has so much, so many fun things to say. Uh, commentator for Golf Channel and for NBC for so many years. You got to start for ABC ESPN, actually, and that is the network which is going to be hosting this upcoming event, World Champions Cup, which is going to be an over-50 event for the older guys, right? Their, their Ryder Cup, their President's Cup, uh, with the Team USA, Team International, and Team Europe. There's going to be some playing captains. We'll get into this event with Peter. He's the chairman of this event and really something he's been at for a while. So a lot of fun stuff to get into there. And then obviously he's a seven-time winner on, on PGA Tour. So let's get in some memories of his time on tour. He got to know Seve pretty well, Seve Ballesteros. So we'll get into that as well. Uh, but just a lot of fun stuff. we got Tiger Woods we talk about as well. The current topics, Charlie Woods, will they play in the PNC, father-son, let's get into that. So here's Peter Jacobson on Beyond the Clubhouse. And just as a courtesy here, uh, this is recorded before Paul Azinger was let go from NBC on this past Sunday. This is recorded November 8th with Peter Jacobson. So no analysis from Peter on uh, what happened with Azinger and, and that contract. But anyway, really good stuff though. Other content here with Peter Jacobson on Beyond the Clubhouse. All right, please be joined by my next guest, Peter Jacobson. You know him as a seven-time PGA Tour winner, and you know him as Jake. You see him on the on the broadcast, NBC and Golf Channel. This guy is a legend. And and Jake, how you doing this morning? What's happening? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day here in South Florida, and I'm uh, played golf yesterday. I'm going to play golf this weekend. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I know you've got a lot going on, especially as we got into December, December 7th through 10th. You got the inaugural World Champions Cup coming up. You're the chairman. What what all does that mean for the golf fans out there? Well, it doesn't it, it, it what it means for the golf fans is that we're finally going to see a Ryder Cup competition for the Champions Tour players. This is something that is long overdue. And my very good friend, uh, Charlie Besser, who's the CEO and president of Intersport out of Chicago. He and I have been talking about doing something like this for the better part of four, maybe five years. And thanks to our playing captains, Jim Furyk with the U.S., Darren Clark with Europe, and Ernie Els, who captains the international team, we've really got something special. I'm excited about it. It's an interesting format. All three teams will play together. So that's different. Normally in the Ryder Cup, it's me versus you. But in this situation, we're going to have the three teams competing against each other during the match in, in each grouping. So it'll be fun. But, but the Concession Golf Club is a tremendous host. It's, host. it's hosted major championships in the past, world golf championships. So uh, it's we're just, what, three weeks away, maybe a month away. We're pretty excited about it. Yeah, well, and you also just mentioned there just how they're all going to play together. How does the scoring work when you have three guys in a group playing nine holes? Like, you know, give us a sense of that. 
Well, the one thing that I love about the game of golf is uh, it's malleable. You can you can be flexible with how you score. We see match play, regular match play. We see that Stableford where there's birdies are worth more than bogeys hurt you. This is a format where each each team will play for one point per hole. So, for example, if Jim Furyk from the U.S. makes a three, Ernie Els makes a four, and Darren Clark makes a five on that hole, a birdie, a par, and a bogey, Furyk will win a point from both Europe and international. So he walks off with the best situation the U.S. could have, which is two points. Europe would get a point from international because Darren made a four and Ernie made a five. So Europe gets a point. In this situation, if Els makes bogey, he walks off with zero. He gets skunked on the first <laughs> hole. So that's the way. And if the match is tie, each team gets one half a point. So you can see that through the matches, each hole is worth the same value and points will add up. And at the end of the week, whoever has the most points will be the champion. So there's no matches that are going to finish early and every hole is worth the same. So conceivably, somebody could start out with four birdies in a row and pick up eight points, but then bogey the next five holes and end up with zero points. So their match, they ends up with they end up with just eight points. So you could see there could be some topsy turvy, uh, big changes going on. Yeah, well, and you, you the guys you mentioned, those captains. I mean, these guys have known each other for thirty years. They've been playing against each other at a top level for thirty years. So how much do you like kind of that familiarity and possibility of a dancer with with all these guys? Well, I think it's going to be special. I, I this is the one thing I played on two Ryder Cup teams. I was. Uh, probably one of the, the biggest highlights of my career because they had a chance to represent the red, white, and blue. All these players that play for the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup or the girls that play for the Solheim Cup, they get just a particular honor and a thrill to represent their country. So this is a chance for them to do it again past the age of 50. Your competitive desire never goes away. That's why it's great to see these players in their 40s, 50s, 60s, competing for championships and that's just going to rekindle any rivalries or any 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 matches that got away in the president's cup or the Ryder cup way back when so and these guys are going to play hard this is not an exhibition this is not a hit and giggle there's prize money but probably more importantly there's pride involved these guys all want to take home that world champions cup team trophy for their for their country well and you mentioned these teams in their country you as the chairman had a chance to kind of put together some of these teams right you you had some actual chairman's picks it sounded like right yes that's the one thing i working with intersport and charlie besser we wanted to put together the best possible product not only for the fans on site but also for our viewers on espn and abc so we've got the best of the best that are going to be playing that are on the champions tour on, on the champions tour in the United States. So uh, having, having picks as the chairman doesn't put me in any odd position other than <laughs> knowing what's going to, what's going to sell and what's going to be interesting and entertaining. 
Yeah. So a reminder for everybody, December 7th through 10th, World Champions Cup, Bradenton, Florida, the Concession Golf Club. Anything else, uh, you know, as we in the lead into that, that fans should be should be ready for? I think they're going to be ready, ready to appreciate how good these guys are. I don't I don't play out there anymore. I'm almost 70. I stopped competing out there a couple of years ago because the kids that are coming on the tour that are 50, 52, 54, 55, and these are mostly the guys we're going to see, they can still hit it a long ways. They can still hit it close to the hole, <laughs> and they're all great putters. So an old guy like me, I'm going to settle comfortably into the champion, uh, the chairman's uh, leather chair and sit, watch, uh, sit by and just observe. But I, I think people re will really appreciate how good these players are. Definitely, definitely. There's so many directions to go now in the world of golf. I could ask you about there's so many stories that you have. You have mentioned once, though, Peter, uh, that you've had more fun than anybody ever in pro golf. You know what I mean? Your career. It's, it's unbelievable. That's an unbelievable statement. And, and I want to ask you, what makes you say that? Was it certain encounters? Was it certain relationships that you had um, with celebrities, with pro golfers? Like what, what makes you say such a bold statement? I think when I first came out on tour, I played at the University of Oregon. I'm from Portland, Oregon originally. And we learned the game from my, my brothers and sister and I, we learned the game from our father. And my father didn't like competition like me against you. He wasn't into that. He was into the camaraderie and the relationship of golf and how much fun it can be just spending time with each other. So golf for me is always family, spending time with family, traveling, driving around in the old station wagon, playing golf, uh, golf courses with my family. So when I was fortunate enough to get my card and go out on tour, I felt like I broke the bank. I felt like just the fact that I could call myself a PGA Tour player was good enough. Uh, and along the way, I won some tournaments. And when I got on the Champions Tour, I won two Champions Tour majors. So I, I feel like, to me, it was, um, I was I was way above and beyond because you never know when you're in college or a junior player or an amateur player if you're going to be any good. But I was so fortunate to have met Arnold Palmer early in my career, actually met Arnold, at my very first PGA Tour event, which was the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. I met Arnold. He shook my hand. He smiled. He welcomed me into the club, so to speak, of the PGA Tour. And that impacted me quite a bit because Arnold treats everybody with kindness and respect. And the other guy that helped me a lot was Lee Trevino. Lee Trevino, hmm. as you know, Lee Trevino is talking to everybody. He's talking to the Marshall's on the tee. He's talking to the fans. He's talking to the guy cutting the greens after the round. He's just sharing and having fun talking to people. And he pointed out to me that I was kind of the same way. I'm a talker. I interact with people. I like to share. So he said to me, make sure that when you play, you don't change to be somebody you're not. Don't try to be Ben Hogan or Tiger Woods. Mm. Don't try to be an ice man. Just be yourself. And I think that's one of the, the keys I, to my success. As I said, I'm not the best player in the world, but I'm not the worst player. But I did have as much fun as anybody because I allowed myself to have fun. I took my golf very seriously, but I never took myself that seriously. Golf is a game. It's a game to be shared, and it's a game of fun.
uh, and you could take people, you and me, and two other players that we don't know, two people that we don't know, that may be beginners. And we, the four of us could go out and play golf and have a blast and share experiences from our lives and, and business thoughts and family, family thoughts. And it doesn't matter if we shoot under par, over par, or we don't finish a hole. That is the key to the game of golf is, is sharing, sharing the time with each other. Yeah. I like what you said there and just the relationship. So like your, your dad instilled in you, the camaraderie of it all. You know what? I have to really pinpoint where you've been great about camaraderie. You really encouraged Johnson Wagner a couple of years ago. Uh, you, you saw something in him and you said, man, you, you got to give this TV thing a try. I know you're playing now, wherever it was, it was in the playoffs somewhere, maybe Boston or whatever, wherever it was, but, but you encouraged him. Take me through what you saw in Johnson Wagner. Well, you're right. That's a great memory. I, I was, when I was with NBC, I still do some events for NBC, but they're moving on from the old guys like me. They're bringing in the younger talent. I saw, I would do these pieces on, on, on the, the, the NBC broadcast called Jake's Takes. And they were always humorous, always tried to be fun. And Johnson Wagner was always one that would give me something funny. He would give me something that was interesting. And Johnson, to me, can be very serious in his analysis of a shot, a swing, a player, whatever. And we're seeing that now in his work at Golf Channel and NBC, but he also could have some fun. If I said to him, hey, give me something silly or give me something fun, boom. It took him one second to get into that mode. And I, I just, I played golf for them. I've competed with him. He's a great player. He's a great young man, but he's also got that special quality that he, he understands where he is. He can be serious when he needs to be serious, but he could have some fun when he wants to have some fun. And I think that's one of the most important attributes of anybody on television is you got to be flexible. You've got to be able to work with the direction of your guest or the situation. It could be the last putt to win the U S open, or it could be the opening tee shot where a guy's driver breaks during the swing. You've got to be able to understand the situation and act accordingly. And I think jo Johnson does that. Yeah, no, he's definitely uh, risen up the ranks in, in golf television, and he's got a lot of opportunities uh, on many different formats, many different platforms. Um, I want to ask you about what, what do you make what we're seeing now with Tiger Woods? It seems like his his health is, is getting a little bit better. We're seeing him with Char with Charlie uh, recently. What, what, do you, what is your current take on Tiger and, and where he's headed? Well, I'm a big fan of family. Uh, I grew up <laughs> in a golf family, as I mentioned, and – we know Tiger, everything that's been well documented about Tiger as, his, as he has marched his way to 15 major championships. But what I love to see, and, and I'm so honored to work for NBC at the PNC Championship every December. It's coming up in a month. People refer to it as the father-son of the family event. When you see these great players, Trevino and Nicholas and, and uh, uh, Trevino and and Hale Irwin out there with their kids, you see a different side of these players. We normally see them blood and guts trying to win these major championships. But at the PNC, you see in their family side. 
And we know Tiger is blood and guts and winning majors and tough as can be as you have to be to win these tournaments. But when I see him out there with Charlie, it's fun to watch him. He's videotaping Charlie's swing. They're analyzing the the impact position and his backswing and follow through. To me, it just warms my heart because I knew when Tiger first came out, I would hang out a little with Tiger and his father, Earl, and watched how Earl mentored Tiger. And it's kind of a kind of a turnaround to see Tiger now mentoring Charlie. Charlie's got an incredible swing. I think we could see Charlie on tour someday. I think he's got that kind of skill. We know he's got the genes to be able to get there. Uh, but I think the Tiger's doing all the right things for his son. And like I said, it's heartwarming to me to see the father-son dynamic. Let's throw out the major championship, uh, major champion dynamic of Tiger Woods and just look at the father and son dynamic. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, it, it's amazing to see that, just the different sides of Tiger when he's around Charlie, as kind of you're alluding to. Um, you know, I'm trying to think what else I, I could ask you about. The state of the game right now, there's – what is your thought with um, – I know you've encouraged younger guys who've been on the pack. I talked to Scott McCarron last week and you've always talked to him and others saying, Hey, listen, if the PGA tour makes a decision, you got to question some of their thoughts. You know what I mean? You got to be as, as a pack member, you got to really be assertive, I, I should say. So what is your thoughts with how things have evolved now with live and, and kind of where things are going there? Like what, what would be your perspective? When I was on the board back in the day, I always made sure that I questioned the decisions being made by our board, by our tour, by our organization to make sure they weren't, that we weren't putting uh, the wrong foot forward. Golf is a, is a, is a game. It's a game. It's an art form. It's, I don't know if I would call it a sport because <laughs> athletes play on in the NFL on Sunday afternoons and major league baseball and on the, and the, uh, the major soccer leagues and, um, I don't know if golf's a, 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 an athletic endeavor, but I do think it's an art form. Be able to make the golf ball curve one way or another, high or low, knock a putt in, read a putt. I think that's, there, there are a lot of art, artists out there. And when you take an art form and try to turn it into a business and turn it, to, it, it you can do it. And the PJ Tour and the LPJ Tour, and the European tours, they have done that. But you have to make sure that you keep the game uh, first and foremost. That's the most important thing. And the PGA Tour's strength lies in the communities where we play and the charities that we, we play for and we represent. And we as players benefit from that. We have a chance to tee it up. I play against McCarron and Johnson Wagner and all these players we try to beat each other's brains out and make money. That's what we want to do. So I, I, I'm very bullish on the PGA Tour. I think it's the finest professional sports organization in the world because of what it does for the communities where we play. We give billions of dollars to charity. And that, to me, has always been something that talking to guys like Brad Faxon, who I talked to yesterday, and McCarron, a lot of the young guys mm. I did a clinic with, with uh, Hale Irwin and Chris DeMarco on Monday uh, up at Nancy Lopez's AIM Pro-Am. We talk about this all the time because the game of golf is changing a little bit. 
And I'm not so sure it's changing for, for the better. We have to remember that it's about people. It's not about money. It is not about money. When people start complaining and worrying about, hey, I'm making, I'm not making as much as you, and I should be getting this, I should be getting that. We're going down the wrong, we're going down the wrong path. And we need to think about the game. We need to think about what we're doing out there and and make, make sure we maintain that direction. Hmm. Um are you are you surprised by what what Liv has done in the last year and a half? Oh, it's hard to say if I'm surprised by it. <clears throat> uh, I, I think the Saudis have got so much money behind the game, the, the live tour, that you can pretty much predict where it was going to be. But again, the only the only reason a player would join live is for the money. It's not for the competition because they're really not playing for anything. They're they're playing for money. And if that's your focus, if that's what you want to do, if that's your only driving factor, then fine. Any mm -hmm. of those players, I would never criticize a player for wanting to improve themselves and their family situation with, with uh, generational wealth. You can't criticize a player for that. And I never would criticize a live player. I just would caution that uh, when we watch the Harlem Globetrotters play the Washington Generals, mm -hmm. we know who's going to win every time. We don't know who the leading scorer is for the Washington Generals or the Harlem Globetrotters because nobody cares. But you know who wins the uh, Masters or the U.S. Open or the Claret Jug at the British at the Open Championship. So to me, if you want the money, then go to live. If they offer you a big chunk, it's probably hard to turn that down. But if you want to if you want to compete and put put victories on your resume that count, if you want to be looked at in the history books and the record books like Jack and Arnold and Tiger and Trevino and all the great players, then I think you probably stay on the PJ Tour. But live golf, I wish him I wish him all the best. Um, I've I've never seen anything yet on TV. I don't watch live golf because it's. It's it's exhibition stuff, but good for them. Yeah. Well, you mentioned people. It, to you, golf's about people. So I think about an event you loved in the past, Fred Meyer Challenge. What, what's a favorite memory from that as it relates to people and experiences? I think the most favorite memory from the Fred Meyer Challenge in Portland, Oregon, was having Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer play. We had them probably 8 to 10 to 12 years in a row. And I would play with Arnold and Jack. I would invite Jackie, his son, or Gary, another one of his sons, really good players, both played on the tour. And to see Jack and Arnold, two great rivals. People remember Jack and Arnold, <clears throat> excuse me, as these major championship rivals. To see them competing together against each other, because we were on opposite teams, but but interacting together and talking together and sharing, signing autographs, taking pictures, because these are, are arguably two of the top maybe six people in the game of golf that, that had the impact they did. If I were to say Arnold, Jack, probably Tiger, probably Hogan from a standpoint, how do you leave Trevino or Byron Nelson off the list? 
So when you start looking at the all-time greats, not just players, but people in the game, those two are certainly at the top of the list. Mm. Um, another player up there, we got a couple minutes left, but another player that you really enjoyed, Seve Ballesteros. What, what's a favorite Seve Ballesteros story that comes to mind? Seve and I used to play all the time, same age. He came over from Europe. We had played <laughs> over in Europe. And I just remember what he did for me with my short game. He was a short game magician. Years I just practiced out of the bunker with a sandwich. <laughs> and when we played practice rounds, he would look at me and say, why are you practicing with just a sandwich? You must, you must try to hit the bunker shot with the eight iron. That will make you better. <laughs> so I would look at him and say, what are you talking about? Sure enough, he'd go pull the eight iron out of his bag, get into a bunker, hold the blade way open, and he played bunker shots with an eight iron because a, a sand wedge is basically loft. You just need as much loft as possible. So he taught me and, and other players how to play bunker shots with a less lofted club. And whenever we played practice rounds together, we would challenge each other for dollar bills or dinner, whatever it may be, with six irons, seven irons, eight irons, out of the bunker, over over water, lob shots. He was a he was a great shot maker. And I just I just cherish the time that I spent playing and learning from Seve. For sure, for sure. And hey, closing up, a world champions cup as a chairman <clears throat> as a chairman, what what's a parting thought that you want golf fans to know about that event? It's coming up December 7th through 10th, but any anything else we should remember? Yeah, the, the, we, we've got we've got three incredible team championships in the world: the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup, and the Solheim Cup with the LP with the LPGA players. We're we're excited to add the World Champions Cup to that foursome, because even though you're a senior, you're over fifty, you can still really play. So I think it's a chance for golf fans to be able to see the older players, the guys that we've seen. We've they're they're either in the Hall of Fame or they're headed to the Hall of Fame, have a chance for them to compete against each other for bragging rights. Because having wanting that that those bragging rights, that never goes away. I love it. The competition always there. Peter Jacobson, pre appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the podcast this week. Thank you. All right, my thanks to Peter Jacobson for jumping on. I, I like some of those thoughts. I like what he had there about Seve. Some takeaways, some good stories with Seve Baeceros, the great Spaniard from over the years. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff. I think, and then he hit on some topics there with Tiger Woods. Uh, we covered a good amount. I like what he said about Johnson Wagner, right? Just giving him some advice. He saw something in Johnson. He saw that gift of gab. He saw that this guy had some ability with, with TV. He had the right personality for it. And, and here we, lo and behold, here he is now. He's been at it for the last few years and doing a good job on Golf Channel. So anyway, Peter Jacobson on Beyond the Clubhouse, and we'll catch up here again soon, guys.